my heart filled with the Spirit as I listen to these families teach that sacred truth, the family is of God. Inspiring music is just one of the many ways we can feel the Spirit whisper to us, filling us with light and truth. The concept of being filled with light and truth became particularly important to me because of an experience I had many years ago. I attended a meeting where members of the Young Women General Board taught about creating spiritually strong families and homes. To visually demonstrate this, a young woman leader held up two soda cans. In one hand, she held a can that was empty, and in the other hand, a can that was unopened and full of soda. First, she squeezed the empty can. It began to bend and then collapsed under the pressure. Next, with her other hand, she squeezed the unopened can. It held firm. It didn't bend or collapse like the empty can because it was filled. We likened this demonstration to our individual lives and to our homes and families. When filled with the Spirit and with gospel truth, we have the power to withstand the outside forces of the world that surround and push against us. However, if we are not filled spiritually, we don't have the inner strength to resist the outside pressures and can collapse when forces push against us. Satan knows that in order for us and our families to withstand the pressures of the world, we must be filled with light and gospel truth. So he does everything in his power to dilute, distort, and destroy the truth of the gospel and to keep us separated from that truth. Many of us have been baptized and have received the gift of the Holy Ghost, whose role it is to reveal and teach the truth of all things. With the privilege of that gift comes the responsibility to seek truth, to live the truth we know, and to share and defend the truth. One place where we best seek to be filled with light and truth is in our own homes. The words in the chorus of the song we heard remind us God gave us families to help us become what He wants us to be. Families are the Lord's workshop on earth to help us learn and live the gospel. We come into our families with a sacred duty to help strengthen each other spiritually. Strong eternal families and spirit-filled homes do not just happen. They take great effort, they take time, and they take each member of the family doing his or her part. Every home is different, but every home where even one individual seeks for truth can make a difference. We are continually counseled to increase our spiritual knowledge through prayer and through studying and pondering the scriptures and the words of the living prophets. In his general conference talk about receiving a testimony of light and truth, President Dieter F. Uchtdorf said, The everlasting and almighty God will speak to those who approach Him with a sincere heart and real intent. He will speak to them in dreams, visions, thoughts, and feelings. President Uchtdorf continues, 
God cares about you. He will listen, and He will answer your personal questions. The answers to your prayers will come in His own way and in His own time, and therefore you need to learn to listen to His voice." End quote. A short family history story illustrates this counsel. Several months ago, I read the testimony of my great-grandfather's sister, Elizabeth Staley Walker. As a child, Elizabeth immigrated to America from Switzerland with her family. After Elizabeth married, she and her husband and children lived near the Nevada border where they ran a mail station. Their home was a stopping place for travelers. All day and all night they had to be ready to cook and serve meals for travelers. It was hard, exhausting work, and they had little rest. But the greatest thing that concerned Elizabeth was the conversation of the people they associated with. Elizabeth said that up to this time she had always taken for granted that the Book of Mormon was true, that the Prophet Joseph Smith had been authorized of God to do what he did, and that his message was the plan of life and salvation. But the life she was experiencing was anything but would strengthen such a belief. Some of the travelers who stopped were well-read, educated, smart men, and always the talk around her table was that Joseph Smith was a sly fraud who had written the Book of Mormon himself and then distributed it to make money. They acted as if to think anything else was absurd, claiming, claiming that Mormonism was bunk. All this talk made Elizabeth feel isolated and alone. There was no one to talk to, no time to even say her prayers, although she did pray as she worked. She was too frightened to say anything to those who ridiculed her religion. She said she didn't know but what they were telling the truth, and she felt she could not have defended her belief if she had tried. Later, Elizabeth and her family moved. Elizabeth said she had more time to think and was not so distracted all the time. She often went down the cellar and prayed to Heavenly Father about what was troubling her, about the stories those seemingly smart men had told about the gospel being bunk and about Joseph Smith and the Book of Mormon. One night, Elizabeth had a dream. She said, It seemed I was standing by a narrow wagon road which led around by the foot of a low rolling hill. Halfway up the hill, I saw a man looking down and speaking, or seemed to be speaking, to a young man who was kneeling and leaning over a hole in the earth. His arms were stretched out, and it looked as if he was reaching for something in the hole. I could see the lid of stone that seemed to have been taken off from the hole over which the boy was bending. On the road were many people, but none of them seemed to be at all interested in the two men on the hillside. There was something that came along with the dream that impressed me so strangely that I woke right up. I could not tell my dream to anyone, but I seemed to be satisfied that it meant the angel Moroni instructed the boy Joseph at the time he got the plates. 
In the spring of 1893, Elizabeth went to Salt Lake City to the dedication of the temple. She described her experience. In there, I saw the same picture that I had seen in my dream. I think it was a colored glass window. I feel satisfied that if I saw the Hill Cumorah itself, it would not look more real. I feel satisfied that I was shown in a dream a picture of the angel Moroni giving Joseph Smith the gold plates. Many years after having this dream and several months before she died at nearly age 88, Elizabeth received a powerful impression. She said, The thought came to me as plain as if someone had said to me, Do not bury your testimony in the ground. Generations later, Elizabeth's posterity continues to draw strength from her testimony. Like Elizabeth, we live in a world of many doubters and critics who ridicule and oppose the truths we hold dear. We may hear confusing stories and conflicting messages. Also like Elizabeth, we will have to do our best to hold on to whatever light and truth we currently have, especially in difficult circumstances. The answers to our prayers may not come dramatically, but we must find quiet moments to seek greater light and truth. And when we receive it, it is our responsibility to live it, to share it, and to defend it. I leave you with my testimony that I know as we fill our hearts and homes with the Savior's light and truth, we will have the inner strength to withstand in every circumstance. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. My beloved sisters, it has been a joy for me to be with you. I've thought of my mother, my wife, my daughter-in-laws, my granddaughters, a number of them are here. And uh, this wonderful program has made me appreciate them more, to have had such a family and to know that the reason that we've had the wonderful family life that we've had is that the Savior is at the center of each of their lives. We have today remembered Him tonight in music, in prayers, and through inspired sermons. One of the attributes of the Savior we most appreciate is His infinite compassion. You have tonight felt He knows you and loves you. You have felt His love for those seated around you. They are your sisters, spirit daughters of our Heavenly Father. He cares for them as He cares for you. He understands all their sorrows. He wants to succor them. My message to you tonight is that you can and must be an important part of His giving 
comfort to those who need comfort. You can play your part best if you know more of how He answers those prayers for help. Many are praying to Heavenly Father for relief, for help in carrying their burdens of grief, loneliness, and fear. Heavenly Father hears those prayers and understands their needs. He and His beloved Son, the resurrected Jesus Christ, have promised help. Jesus Christ gave this sweet promise, quote, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The burdens His faithful servants must carry in life are made lighter by His Atonement. The burden of sin can be taken away, but the trials of mortal life for good people can still be heavy burdens. You have seen such tests in the lives of good people you love. You have felt a desire to help them. There is a reason for your feeling of compassion for them. You are a covenant member of the Church of Jesus Christ. A great change began in your heart when you came into the Church. You made a covenant and you received a promise that began and changed your very nature. Alma described in his words at the Waters of Mormon what you promised at your baptism and what it will mean to you and everyone around you, especially in your families. He was speaking to those who are about to make the covenants you have made, and they also received the promise that the Lord made to you. Quote, Behold, here are the waters of Mormon, for thus were they called, and now as ye are desirous to come into the fold of God and to be called His people, and are willing to bear one another's burdens, that they may be light. Yea, and are willing to mourn with those that mourn. Yea, and comfort those that stand in need of comfort, and to stand as witnesses of God at all times and in all things, and in all places that you may be in, even until death, that you may be redeemed of God and be numbered with those of the first resurrection, that ye may have eternal life. That is why you have a feeling to want to help a person struggling to move forward under a load of grief and difficulty. You promised that you would help the Lord make their burdens light and be comforted. You were given the power to help lighten those loads when you received the gift of the Holy Ghost. The Savior described the way He helps lighten loads and gives strengths to carry them when He was about to be crucified. He knew that His disciples would grieve it. He knew that they would fear for their future. He knew they would feel uncertain of their capacity to move forward. So He gave them the promise that He makes to us and to all His true disciples, quote, And I will pray the Father, 
and he shall give you another Comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of Truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye knoweth him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. And then he promised, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance. Whatsoever I have said unto you, peace, I leave you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. In just the past few weeks, I have seen that promise of sending the Holy Ghost fulfilled in the lives of children of God who were pleading in prayer that their burdens would be lightened. The miracle of the loads being lightened came in a way the Lord promised. He and Heavenly Father sent the Holy Ghost as the Comforter to His disciples to help. Recently, three generations of a family were grieving at the death of a five-year-old boy. He died accidentally while with his family on a vacation. I was granted the opportunity to watch once again how the Lord blesses the faithful with relief and the strength to endure. I watched the way the Lord made their great burden lighter. I was with them as the Lord's covenant servant, as you will be often in your life, to mourn with those who mourn and comfort those that stand in need of comfort. Because I knew that was true, I was pleased and at peace when the grandparents invited me to meet with them and the parents of the little boy before the funeral. I prayed to know how I could help the Lord comfort them. They sat down with me in our living room. I had warmed the room on a cold night with a small fire in the fireplace. I had felt to tell them that I loved them. I told them that I had felt the Lord's love for them. In just a few words, I tried to tell them that I mourned for them, but that only the Lord knew and could experience perfectly their pain and grief. After saying those few words, I felt impressed to listen with love while they talked about their feelings. In the hour we sat together, they spoke far more than I did. I could feel in their voices and see in their eyes that the Holy Ghost was touching them. They spoke of what happened and how they felt in words of simple testimony. The Holy Ghost had already given them the peace that comes with the hope of eternal life when their Son, who died without sin, could be theirs forever. When I gave them each a priesthood blessing, I gave thanks for the influence of the Holy Ghost that was there. The Comforter had come, bringing hope, courage, and increased strength for all of us. That night I saw demonstrated how the Lord works 
with us to lighten the loads of his people. You remember in the Book of Mormon when his people were nearly crushed by the burdens placed upon their backs by fierce taskmasters. The people pled for relief, as many of those we love and serve do. Here is the record, which I know is true. And I will also ease the burdens which are put upon your shoulders, that even you cannot feel them upon your backs. Even while you are in bondage, and this will I do, that ye may stand as witnesses for me hereafter, and that ye may know of a surety that I, the Lord God, do visit my people in their afflictions. And now it came to pass that the burdens which were laid upon Alma and his brethren were made light. Yea, the Lord did strengthen them, that they could bear up their burdens with ease, and they did submit cheerfully and with patience to the, all the will of the Lord. I have seen that miracle time and time again. We lighten the loads of others best by helping the Lord strengthen them. That is why the Lord included in our charge to comfort others the command to be His witnesses at all times and in all places. The father and the mother of the little boy bore witness of the Savior that evening in my living room. The Holy Ghost came, and all were comforted. The parents were strengthened. The burden of grief did not disappear, but they were made able to bear the sorrow. Their faith increased, and their strength will continue to grow as they ask for it and live for it. The Spirit's witness of the Atonement that came that night also strengthened Job to carry his load. Quote, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. It was that witness of the Spirit that gave him strength to endure. He would pass through mourning and the lack of comfort from people around him to see the joy that would come to the faithful after passing faithfully through their trials. It was true for Job. Blessings came to him in this life. The story of Job ends with this miracle, quote, So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning, and in all the land were no women found so fair as the daughters of Job. And their father gave them inheritance among their brethren. After this lived Job in 140 years and saw his sons and his sons' sons, even four generations. So Job died, being old and full of days. It was from the witness of the Spirit of the coming Atonement which saw Job through the test life is intended for all of us. That is part of the great plan of happiness the Father gave us. He allowed His Son to provide by His atoning sacrifice the hope that comforts us no matter how hard the way home to Him may be. The Father and the Son send the Holy Ghost to comfort and strengthen disciples of the Master in their journey. 
I saw this miracle of comfort as I arrived outside the chapel where the, little, the funeral of the little boy was to be held. I was stopped by a lovely young woman I did not recognize. She said that she was coming to the funeral to mourn and to give comfort if she could. She said that she had come to the funeral in part, though, for comfort for herself. She told me that her first child had died recently. She was carrying in her arms a beautiful little girl. I leaned toward her to look into the little girl's smiling face. I asked the baby's mother, what is her name? Her quick and cheerful answer was, her name is Joy. Joy always comes after sorrow. She was bearing her witness to me. I could see that the peace and comfort had come to her from the only sure source. Only God knows hearts, and so only He can say in truth, I know how you feel. So I can only imagine both her joy and sorrow that preceded it, but the Lord who loves her knows. I can know only partially how much He feels joy each time you, as His disciple, help Him bring a moment of peace and joy to a child of our Heavenly Father. I bear my witness. The Lord has asked each of us, His disciples, to help bear one another's burdens. We have promised to do it. I bear my testimony that the Lord, through His Atonement and Resurrection, has broken the power of death. I give my witness that the living Christ sends the Holy Ghost, the Comforter, to those we are pledged to help Him comfort. You are all witnesses, as I am, of the truth of the inscription on the pin my mother wore for more than 20 years as a member of the Relief Society General Board. It read, Charity never faileth. I still do not know the full meaning of those words, but I have caught a glimpse as I saw her reach out to those in need. The scripture tells us this truth. Charity is the pure love of Christ. His love never fails, and we never will cease to feel in our hearts the urge to mourn with those that mourn and comfort those who stand in need of comfort. Nor will the peace He promises ever leave us as we serve others for Him. As His witness, I extend gratitude for what you do so well to help the living Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Ghost, the Comforter, strengthen feeble knees and lift up hands that hang down. And I am grateful with all my heart for the wonderful women in my life who have helped me and blessed me as true disciples of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. What a privilege and joy to be a part of this marvelous assembly of girls and women. How blessed we are as women to be joined together this evening in unity and in love. I recently read the story of Marie Madeline Cardin, who with her family received the message of the restored gospel of Jesus Christ from the first missionaries called to serve in Italy in 1850. She was a young woman of 17 or 18 years of age when they were baptized. One Sunday, while holding a worship service in their home high in the Alps of northern Italy, 
An angry mob of men, including some of the local ministers, gathered around the house and began shouting, yelling, and calling for the missionaries to be brought outside. I don't think they were just anxious to be taught the gospel. They intended bodily harm. It was young Marie who marched out of the house to confront the mob. They continued their vicious yells and demands for the missionaries to be brought out. Marie raised her Bible up in her hand and commanded them to depart. She told them that the elders were under her protection and that they could not harm one hair of their heads. Listen to her own words. All stood aghast. God was with me. He placed those words in my mouth, or I could not have spoken them. All was calm, calm instantly. That strong, ferocious body of men stood helpless before a weak, trembling, yet fearless girl. End of quote. The ministers asked the mob to leave, which they did quietly, in shame, fear, and remorse. The small flock completed, completed their meeting in peace. Can't you just picture that brave young woman, the same age as many of you, standing up to a mob and defending her newly found beliefs with courage and conviction? Sisters, few of us will ever have to face an angry mob, but there is a war going on in this world in which our most cherished and basic doctrines are under attack. I am speaking specifically of the doctrine of the family. The sanctity of the home and the essential purposes of the family are being questioned, criticized, and assaulted on every front. When President Gordon B. Hinckley first read The Family, a proclamation to the world 20 years ago this year, we were grateful for and valued the clarity, simplicity, and truth of this revelatory document. Little did we realize then how very desperately we would need these basic declarations in today's world as the criteria by which we could judge each new wind of worldly dogma coming at us from the media, the Internet, scholars, TV and films, and even legislators. The proclamation on the family has become our benchmark for judging the philosophies of the world, and I testify that the principles set forth within this statement are as true today as they were when they were given to us by a prophet of God nearly 20 years ago. May I point out something obvious? Life rarely goes exactly according to plan for anyone, and we are very aware that not all women are experiencing what the proclamation describes. It is still important to understand and teach the Lord's pattern and strive for the realization of that pattern the best we can. Each of us has a part to play in the plan, and each of us is equally valued in the eyes of the Lord. We should remember that a loving Heavenly Father is aware of our righteous desires and will honor His promises that nothing will be withheld from those who faithfully keep their covenants. Heavenly Father has a mission and plan for each of us, but He also has His own timetable. One of the hardest challenges in this life is to have faith in the Lord's timing. It's a good idea to have an alternative plan in mind which helps us to be covenant-keeping, charitable, and righteous women who build the kingdom of God no matter which way our lives go. We need to teach our daughters to aim for the ideal but plan for contingencies. During this 20th anniversary year of the Family Proclamation, I would like to issue a challenge for all of us as women of the Church 
to be defenders of the family, a proclamation to the world. Just as Marie Madeleine Cardin courageously defended the missionaries and her newly found beliefs, we need to boldly defend the Lord's revealed doctrines describing marriage, families, the divine roles of men and women, and the importance of homes as sacred places, even when the world is shouting in our ears that these principles are outdated, limiting, or no longer relevant. Everyone, no matter what their marital circumstance or number of children, can be defenders of the Lord's plan described in the Family Proclamation. If it is the Lord's plan, it should also be our plan. There are three principles taught in the proclamation which I think are especially in need of steadfast defenders. The first is marriage between a man and a woman. We are taught in the scriptures, Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. For anyone to attain the fullness of priesthood blessings, there must be a husband and a wife sealed in the house of the Lord, working together in righteousness and remaining faithful to their covenants. This is the Lord's plan for His children, and no amount of public discourse or criticism will change what the Lord has declared. We need to continue to model righteous marriages, seek for that blessing in our lives, and have faith if it is slow in coming. Let us be defenders of marriage as the Lord has ordained it, while continuing to show love and compassion for those with differing views. The next principle which calls for our defending voices is elevating the divine roles of mothers and fathers. We eagerly teach our children to aim high in this life. We want to make sure that our daughters know that they have the potential to achieve and be whatever they can imagine. We hope they will love learning, be educated, talented, and maybe even become the next Marie Curie or Eliza R. Snow. Do we also teach our sons and daughters there is no greater honor, no more elevated titles, and no more important roles in the, this life than that of mother and father? I would hope that as we encourage our children to reach for the very best in this life, that we also teach them to honor and exalt the roles that mothers and fathers play in Heavenly Father's plan. Our youngest daughter, Abby, saw a unique opportunity to stand as a defender of the role of mother. One day she got a notice from her children's school that they were having career day presentations at the school. Parents were invited to send in an application if they wanted to come to school to teach the children about their jobs, and Abby felt impressed to apply to come and speak about motherhood. She didn't hear back from the school, and when career day was getting close, she finally called the school, thinking they may have lost her application. The organizers scrambled around and found two teachers who agreed to have Abby come talk to their classes at the end of career day. In her very fun presentation to the children, Abby taught them, among other things, that as a mother she needed to be somewhat of an expert in medicine, psychology, religion, teaching, music, literature, art, finance, decorating, hairstyling, chauffeuring, sports, culinary arts, and so much more. The children were impressed. <laughs> she finished by having each of the children remember their mothers by writing a thank you note expressing gratitude for the many loving acts of service they received daily. Abby felt the children saw their mothers in a whole new light 
and that being a mother or father was something of great worth. She applied to share again this year at Career Day and was invited to present to six classes. Abby has said of her experience, I feel like it could be easy in this world for a child to get the sense that being a parent is a secondary job or even sometimes a necessary inconvenience. I want every child to feel like they are the most important priority to their parent, and maybe telling them how important being a parent is to me will help them realize all that their parents do for them and why." End of quote. Our beloved prophet, President Thomas S. Monson, is a wonderful example of honoring women and motherhood, especially his own mother. In reference to our earthly mothers, he has said, May each of us treasure this truth. One cannot forget mother and remember God. One cannot remember mother and forget God. Why? Because these two sacred persons, God and our earthly mother, partners in creation, in love, in sacrifice, in service, are as one. The last principle we need to stand and defend is the sanctity of the home. We need to take a term which is sometimes spoken of with derision and elevate it. It is the term homemaker. All of us—women, men, youth, and children, single or married—can work at being homemakers. We should make our homes places of order, refuge, holiness, and safety. Our homes should be places where the Spirit of the Lord is felt in rich abundance and where the scriptures and the gospel are studied, taught, and lived. What a difference it would make in the world if all people would see themselves as makers of righteous homes. Let us defend the home as a place which is second only to the temple in holiness. Sisters, I am grateful to be a woman in these latter days. We have opportunities and possibilities which no other generation of women has had in the world. Let us help build the kingdom of God by standing up boldly and being defenders of marriage, parenthood, and the home. The Lord needs us to be brave, steadfast, and immovable warriors who will defend His plan and teach the upcoming generation, generations His truth. I bear witness that Heavenly Father lives and loves each of us. His Son, Jesus Christ, is our Savior and Redeemer. I leave this testimony with you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Is anything more beautiful and profound than the simple and pure truths of the gospel taught in a primary song? And all of you primary girls here tonight that know the song I'm going to talk about, you learned it for your primary program last year. In the words the family is of God sung earlier in this meeting, we are reminded of pure doctrine. We learn not only that the family is of God, but also that we are each part of God's family. The first line of the song teaches, Our Father has a family. It's me. It's you. All others, too. We are His children. From the family proclamation we learn, In the premortal realm, spirit sons and daughters knew and worshipped God as their eternal Father. In that realm, we learned about our eternal female identity. We knew that we were each a beloved daughter of heavenly parents. 
Our mortal journey to earth did not change those truths. We each belong to and are needed in the family of God. Earthly families all look different. And while we do the best we can to create strong traditional families, membership in the family of God is not contingent upon any kind of status—marital status, parental status, financial status, social status, or even the kind of status we post on social media. We belong. We are daughters of our Heavenly Father who loves us, and we love Him. The second line of the the song expands on the first. He sent each one of us to earth through birth to live and learn here in families. In the premortal life, we learned that we would need a period of mortality. We accepted Heavenly Father's plan by which His children could obtain a physical body and gain earthly experience to progress towards perfection and ultimately realize our divine destiny as heirs of eternal life. Elder Richard G. Scott explained that we were taught in the premortal world that our purpose in coming here is to be tested, tried, and stretched. That stretching comes in as many forms as there are individuals experiencing it. I've never had to live through divorce. The pain and insecurity that comes from abandonment or the responsibility associated with being a single mother. I haven't experienced the death of a child, infertility, or same-gender attraction. I haven't had to endure abuse, chronic illness, or addiction. These have not been my stretching opportunities. So right now, some of you are thinking, well, then, Sister Stevens, you just don't understand. And I answer that you may be right. I don't completely understand your challenges, but through my personal tests and trials, the ones that have brought me to my knees, I have become well acquainted with the one who does understand, he who was acquainted with grief, who experienced all and understands all. And in addition, I have experienced all of the mortal tests that I just mentioned through the lens of daughter, mother, grandmother, sister, aunt, and friend. Our opportunity as covenant-keeping daughters of God is not just to learn from our own challenges. It is to unite in empathy and compassion as we support other members of the family of God in their struggles, as we have covenanted to do. When we do so, we also come to understand and trust that the Savior knows the difficulties of the way and can guide us through whatever sorrows and disappointments may come. He is true charity, and His love endureth forever, in part through us, as we follow Him. As daughters of God and disciples of Jesus Christ, we then act according to those sympathies which God has planted in our hearts. Our sphere of influence isn't limited to our own family members. I recently had the opportunity to visit with Sister Yazi of the Chinle, Arizona Stake in her Hogan. When she welcomed me into her home, the first thing I noticed were the variety of framed family and missionary photos on her walls and tables. 
So I asked, Sister Yazi, how many grandchildren do you have? Surprised by my question, she shrugged her shoulders. Confused by her response, I looked at her daughter. Sister Yellowhair answered, She doesn't know how many grandchildren she has. We don't count. All children call her grandmother. She is grandmother to everyone. <laughs> Sister Yazi doesn't limit her love and influence to her biological family. She understands what it means to expand her sphere of influence as she goes about doing good, blessing, nurturing, and defending the family of God. She understands that whenever a woman strengthens the faith of a child, she contributes to the strength of a family now and in the future. The third line of the song further explains the purpose of our mortality. God gave us families to help us become what He wants us to be. The Savior taught, Be one. And if ye are not one, ye are not mine. The Family Proclamation teaches that as beloved spirit, daughters of heavenly parents, we have a divine nature, eternal identity, and purpose. God wants us to be one. God needs us to be one. Covenant-keeping daughters, united in the diversities of our individual lives, who desire to learn all that is needed to be back in His presence, seal to Him as part of His eternal family. Sacred ordinances and covenants available in holy temples make it possible for us to return to the presence of God and for families to be united eternally. The ordinances we receive and the covenants we make at baptism and in holy temples connect the family of God on both sides of the veil, connecting us to our Father through His Son, who prayed that they may be one, as Thou, Father, art in me, and I in Thee, that they also may be one in us. As we use our time in mortality to study and apply the Savior's teachings, we become more like Him. We come to understand that He is the way, the only way we can overcome mortal challenges, be healed, and return back to our heavenly home. The final line of the song returns to where it began. This is how He shares His love, for the family is of God. The Father's plan for His children is a plan of love. It is a plan to unite His children, His family, with Him. Elder Russell M. Nelson taught, Heavenly Father has but two desires for His children, immortality and eternal life, which means life with Him back home. Those desires can be realized only as we also share the love that Heavenly Father has for His family by reaching out and sharing His plan with others. Twenty years ago, the First Presidency and Quorum of the Twelve Apostles reached out to the entire world when issuing a proclamation on the family. Since then, attacks on the family have increased. If we are to be successful in our sacred responsibilities as daughters of God, we must understand the eternal significance of and our individual responsibility to teach truths 
about Heavenly Father's plan for his family. President Howard W. Hunter explained, There is a great need to rally the women of the Church to stand with and for the brethren in stemming the tide of evil that surrounds us and in moving forward the work of our Savior. So we entreat you to minister with your powerful influence for good in strengthening our families, our Church, and our communities. Sisters, we belong. We are loved. We are needed. We have a divine purpose, work, place, and role in the Church and Kingdom of God and in His eternal family. Do you know deep in your heart that your Heavenly Father loves you and desires you and those you love to be with Him? Just as Heavenly Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, are perfect, their hopes for us are perfect, their plan for us is perfect, and their promises are sure. Of these truths I gratefully testify in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.